Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Mental Health Break podcast. I'm your host, Tom Holzerman, or TH, if you will. If you are listening to this, there are good odds that you are subscribed already to my newsletter uh, at tholzerman.substack.com. If you're somehow listening to this without having gone to the newsletter, sub up, um, subscribe. You will get good stuff in your inbox three times a week, including this podcast. One of to- one of those topics will be video games from time to time. And speaking of video games and producing content at least three times a week, I welcome to the show uh, Real Mama Eagle on Twitter. Uh, Kay. Uh, Kay, is it Kay or Key? It's actually Key. Key, okay. Well, it's Key. K is, is fine too. The name does start with a K, so that works. <laughs> um, Key, how you doing? I'm doing lovely, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, it's a, uh, you know, it's I'm um, six feet above ground. Always good. And, yep. Uh, and uh, things are going well. Um, there's a lot of things that we can cover. Um, you stream about video games. You play video games. I do want to talk about your tw- uh, your streaming on Twitch. Yeah. And we'll throw up a plug to that on the uh, on the post too. But um, you're known. Mostly on Twitter for being the um, the den mother of uh, Eagles and Philadelphia sports fans all together. So I'm I'm sure this past Sunday you were watching the Super Bowl. Oh yeah. What were your thoughts on the game overall? First, it was it, well. The first half started off very interesting. You thought that it it was going to build up at first to be maybe one of those offensive back and forth games, but then defense took over since. You know, you have the Rams get off to that little hot start, then the Bengals defense steps up, and then when the Bengals do get some momentum, you know, Joe Burrow can't get anything going because his offensive line's bad. He has some drops. Zach Taylor's play calling is a little bit weird. So it it just uh it, it was it was a good game, especially if you like a little bit more defense. But the Rams did just enough. I don't believe Stapp- Matt Stafford played particularly great. The Rams did just enough. Their defense got um got the stops they needed, but it just felt like missed opportunities for Cincinnati for me. Yeah, um, the the first half, uh, that first drive, um, Higgins dropped the pass that would have been a touchdown, led to a field goal that would have changed the complexion of the game a whole lot. But I think, um, and we had two weeks ago, we had Jerry uh, Jokeman who is now suspended from Twitter. He I might know. I saw that. Yeah, um, but he said that, you know, he thought that eventually the the defensive line of the Rams, the pass rush, was going to uh, take over the game. And and starting in the third quarter, uh, Joe Burrow was sacked, I think, eight times during the game. And seven times. Yeah. What's that? Yep. Eight times. Poor thing. (laughs) Yeah. And seven times were in the second half. Yes. Um, Aaron Donald, who... um, by the time this is posted, maybe he would have retired. I don't know. Uh, we're recording on a Tuesday. This will drop on a Thursday. God willing. Cross your fingers. Knock on wood. And he might have retired. I, I don't think he will. That's just a gut feeling. You know, I think uh, this Rams team is built to have a, not a window just this year. I mean, they could bring easily run back and, and try and win next year, too. With all the pieces they have under contract or they could easily resign. Um, but Von Miller and Leonard Floyd, you know, they had a pretty good game too. Uh, a Sean Robinson, who's mostly known as a run stopper, he had a couple of good pressures from what I saw. Just they, they tore the, that line apart. Um, and I know it's hard to sort of kill the Bengals for taking Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell. Uh, but what do you, what do you think? Do you think that? Maybe they have a little bit of a better chance had they built a little bit more around their offensive line. Or, I mean, after Joe Burrow's ACL injury, I was a firm believer that the Bengals should have invested into their offensive line. But then you look at the chemistry with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase, one of the best offensive rookies in football this season. You have to, you have, you at this point have to acknowledge that it was the right pick. And the reality is, even. Um, with the Bengals addressing their O-line, there was no guarantee they would have been in the Super Bowl. They weren't even really supposed to be here. It's almost a miracle that Joe Burrow and the Bengals got there with that O-line. So if they beef it up, their ceiling's pretty high. They'll be good to go. Um, but I do think, um, I think, I think, I think a guy like Joe Burrow needs a weapon like Jamar Chase, you know, um, especially after the injury, lots of, com- you know, maybe it helps that confidence a bit, but you would like to, you would worry if they did not address it this offseason. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, you would really worry. And I, I think there's there's something and I was sort of thinking it too during the season. I, I thought that the Bengals were dead in the water um coming into this season. I was wrong, obviously. But the thing about Burrow is he gets the ball out real quick when when he can. And when you have a guy like Chase who gets open, you know, he runs great routes. He can he's fast, he can he can get down the field, beat a guy. He can, you know, run a uh, run a short route, maybe get open to that window where Burrow can throw it in there. But the spillover effect is you have um, CJ Ozuma and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, who are all really good receivers. Yes. And they were putting up numbers before um, Chase got there. They were even putting up numbers before Burrow got there. At least Boyd was with Andy Dalton. So I, I think... My my meta motto is sort of there's more than one way to skin a pig, and I think the Bengals sort of proved that building an offense, and and I think the Super Bowl came down to a few plays here and there. Yes, they just got run over in the second half. They did, and and Zach Taylor didn't really do them any favors. Um, remember back to the AFC Championship game where he was kept running the ball in the first half. Yeah, the, the the play calls on third and one and fourth and one in the Super Bowl, I'm still shaking my head at for Zach Taylor. Just trying to figure out what he was doing there. It, it just, um, there's going to be a lot of talk about that this offseason. Um, but Zach Taylor sh- should still, I mean, he's regardless, he still did a wonderful job with that team. But as far as play calling in the O-line, they do have to clean up a few things. But they could be the class of the AFC North next year, even though Lamar Jackson will be back. We'll see. Yeah, and... It's really interesting about Lamar Jackson is that Baltimore is being non-committal with him, which to me is kind of surprising. Um, they said they may not sign him to an extension. At which case, if I'm the Eagles, you know, I'm I'm saying, hey, Howie, why don't you give him a call? See if uh, you can't do a little sign and trade deal there. You know, the Steelers are going to have a a rebuilding year. Yes, uh, the Browns are. I don't know what they have with Baker Mayfield. We, Probably not yeah, much. I, I, I can't get on the Baker Mayfield bandwagon. And um, honestly, the how Odell Beckham has been shining in the postseason only makes Baker Mayfield look worse. You're going to find a lot of Browns fans who found the commentary around Odell Beckham right. to be contentious, and I you can't blame them, even though you know the the commentary might be right. I mean, you know more than anybody uh, the. Uh, how fans behave and how they get in their feelings for certain things. I mean, there's also, there's a shot that it may not just be Baker Mayfield. If you look at the head coach, Kevin Stefanski, his offense has never really featured wide receivers, which is incredible given that he was in Minnesota with, you know, Adam Thielen and of course, Stefan Diggs. And that could have been a reason why Diggs wanted out. Well, they were the one. They were one of the worst teams, uh, to my knowledge, in third downs in the NFL this this season. So their play calling definitely regressed from the previous season. So their their play calling has definitely been an issue. It's more so um, almost over scheming instead of doing the obvious things, especially on third third and short. And it makes no sense when you think about the running backs the Browns have. So I, you know, it, it it's I'm sure it's very frustrating for Browns fans. Yeah. But you, you could be right about the Bengals just running away with things next year. I think it'll be really close. I'm I'm still not sleeping on Baltimore. I do expect Lamar to be there. They they do have talent on defense. They do have talent. Um, even though there's some questions with the Ravens play calling, I still I still don't like um do still like Harbaugh as a head coach. Um, it's all about experience, and you know it'll show. But it'll be a fun race. Even though the Bengals did, you know, the Bengals did beat the um the uh Ravens with Lamar Jackson healthy so we'll see yeah they they did they they yeah they blew him out yeah they blew him out yep um the, the AFC conference on the whole seems That's... yeah and uh the NFC it looks like there's a lot of teams in flux right now Aaron Rodgers who may not be in Green Bay um Tampa Bay's looking for a new quarterback you know, Carolina, Carolina's a mess. The Saints lost Sean Payton, don't have a quarterback. Uh, the, the Falcons are the Falcons. Matt Ryan's another year older. You don't know what you're going to get. Dallas is still going to be good, but they're going to lose 
Um, they might lose Gallup and they might lose Cooper this offseason. So there's a big possibility of that. They still have their play caller and, you know, I mean, they still have McCarthy. They still have Kellen Moore, but they're, they're losing two big player makers that arguably open the door for CeeDee Lamb to be even better. So it'll be and interesting. They, they might lose um, Randy Gregory as yes, well. Yes, yes. But yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's up as well. Yeah. It's just sort of falling into place. The Eagles could have another. And it's hard to have a surprise run two years in a row, right? right? And to say if the Eagles take a step forward next year, it's not a surprise. But, I, you know, you look at Jalen Hurts, and there ever was a player that has ever played for a Philadelphia team that I wanted to succeed more than Jalen Hurts. Other than Joel Embiid, I think, you know, Jalen Hurts, it, it, there's nobody else. Yeah. And Joel Embiid obviously has the MVP talent to go behind him. Yeah. We don't know about Hurts at this point. And I, I don't know. It's sort of an interesting. What are your thoughts about the, the quarterback situation? I, I, I've been pretty firm on um on where I stand with the quarterback situation. I know a lot of Eagle fans want to trade picks for a proven elite veteran quarterback. And I, I can, you know, I can see the argument in that because um, a lot of people are probably inspired by what the Ram just did trading picks and going all in. And I get that, you know, I get that logic. Um, but at the same time, if your roster is still missing, you know, pieces, um, you know, you could use all those extra first round picks you have to build, to build up those areas, you know, even get a rookie or get a great veteran wide receiver to go opposite of Smith. You know, there's a lot of cool things you can do. Um, you hope that Jalen Hurts works on his arm strength because that is a flaw. Um, his downfield throws are not, you know, are not the greatest. His athleticism is, is second to none though. I mean, we know he has that. Um, yeah. So he doesn't have to work on that, but it, it's the arm strength that's going to be an issue. But one would argue, you know, with slightly better talent around him at the wide receiver position outside of mainly Smith. Um, what that would look like. But I think the smart thing to do is keep the picks and go with him in 2022. And worst case scenario, you you're back at this next year when arguably the quarterback class might be a little bit more to your liking. I would much rather, you know, trade a few future picks in 2023 to get up to, to get CJ Stroud yeah, or Bryce yeah. Young. And, and that's the big thing, you know, there's no, I mean, Kenny Pickett looks kind of, kind of interesting. Matt Corral, uh, Malik Willis out of Liberty um, and my sort of disdain for the school of Liberty, you know, side, you know, Malik Willis has a tremendous upside and I don't know. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like you would do that when you have so many needs, like Eagles could be in a position where they could draft two edge, edge rushers with their, two, with their three first round picks and get yeah. another a cornerback or a linebacker or a wide receiver like Traylon Burks or Jamison Williams. Some DB and they need some linebacker help. And um, you, you, like I said, you could arguably add a couple more wide receivers. So that's something they're going to think about. But I will say that I don't think that this team is as far off as everyone thinks. I think with the right moves, you could talk about them being very much in contention in the FC. But again, it's all about Jalen Hurts taking that leap and taking that step and working on his arm strength. Do I think he wants to be great? Absolutely. Uh, I have no question about that. It's just a matter of will it happen? Will he develop? And, and you I don't know, think arm strength is, I mean, arm strength is an issue in 2022 NFL because right. you need to have a home run play. But I think even if Jalen Hurts just um, works on his timing a little bit, you know, he's late. He's very late. Yes. And that's, that's, I think, I think that's something he can work on more than he, than he can do with arm strength. Like you look at Josh Allen in Buffalo, right? And, and he was a guy, they say, oh, he, he made the leap, but Josh Allen had every single tool in his toolbox and he just needed to sort of get his head straight. You know, I, I think Jalen Hurts has some pretty exciting tools like his legs yeah. and his um, unflappable leadership. Like if he throws a pick, he's not going to sulk. I don't think he I don't think he'll ever have the arm strength. And I mean, that to me seems like a physical tool. But I also don't think like you look at Tom Brady, you look at Drew Brees. Um, Alex Smith, if you want to go even like further down the ladder, they had nice careers without being able to throw a long ball. I mean, it's definitely possible. Um, one thing about those guys is they did have, you know, for the most part, either solid weapons around them or solid play calling. I mean, Andy Smith, I mean, Andy Smith, Alex Smith was with Andy Reid for, you know, a, a little bit. So we have, we've seen it, you know, we've seen a lot of different things, but it's going to be really interesting to see how coaching plays a role into this because we, we loved um, how Nick Sirianni rallied the Eagles the second half of the season. 
I, but it's all about will this coaching staff be the ones to develop him. But I do think that Nick did a good job playing to Jalen's strengths later on in the season. It was unfortunate we didn't see it against Tampa. But I think as the season went along, he did a great job of that. Yeah, you run into Tampa's uh, pass rush. They're not going to stay hurt uh, the whole season right. if they're getting that far. Now, I changed the uh, subject a little bit. Um, I don't say speaking of, there's no way to segue from from football into Pokemon. But, uh, I mean, the only thing I've been been doing other than watching football or doing work or, or hanging out with my family has been playing Pokemon uh, Legends Arceus. Have you gotten on that yet? It's amazing. I have about a good 40-something hours in. I took about a couple days off of it, but I should be getting back to it tomorrow on stream. But it's it's phenomenal. I applaud them for going that approach with a Pokemon game and just trying something completely different. Yeah. Um, I was in love with it from the start. Uh, like, the Breath of the Wild comparisons are a little bit off, but they're still valid. Um, and, and there's a lot more in there. I think there's a little bit of the Pokemon go, um, not, not, not too much, you know, they didn't sort of sell out to sort of appeal to that crowd. There's a little bit of Minecraft with all the different, um, you know, crafting you can do and just a lot of exploration. It's, it's more, and I think that where it has it over breath of the wild is, you know, a breath of the wild has a lot of open country that's sort of bare and, for better or worse, you're going to find areas crawling with Pokemon in in this game. And I don't even mind that Arceus is not fully open world because the story progression, which is phenomenal, by the way, it's got great story. Um, and this, the history of the village, history of the region, it all kind of ties into just one really beautiful game. And even the for me, like even as a story-based player, the most fun I've had is literally going around an area being genuinely curious about what Pokemon are there and like, okay, I'm going to do field research and I get caught up for field research for hours and hours on end. So um, you just have so much to do and that makes it really special. It really is. And I think you hit on it. It's not open world, but I mean, the best games are ones where I think you have tasks to do, but you can screw around, right? Yeah. There's a lot of place to explore. So it's not truly open world, but you can still sort of put things off and say, hey, um, sure, I got to get to the ruins. But, oh, look, oh, there's a Mr. Mime. Exactly. I'm going to go chase him around. Like for me, the, the market, and I think that's the problem with gamers and society, the mark of a game to a lot of good people, but the mark of a good game to a lot of people is it has to be open world. And I like an open world and I like exploring as much as the next person, but give me a good story and give me side missions and give me a good replay value. And Legends of Arceus is something I can play over a lot. So that that you know that to me is what makes it a great game. Not to mention um the different forms of Pokemon, very creative, very fun. A lot of a lot of cool things about the game. How uh how far along are you in it? Because I don't want to sort of because like there's a lot of so I, I'm like seventy five hours into it, and I haven't I haven't caught Arceus yet. That's sort of like the the last thing you yet. do. I um I haven't played in like about four or five days. I've been super busy. Um, but yeah, I'm about a good 40, 45 hours in close to like, so um, a little bit under 50. Yeah. Did you uh, get up to Dialga and Palkia? I yet? didn't get there yet, but I'm excited about okay. when that does happen. Yeah. Do, do you have the uh, save files from uh, the, the four remakes in the sword and shield? Yes, yes I do. So I, I know you get, you get different things, but I haven't, I haven't, I've been, I've been like so obsessed with doing field research and finishing the decks. That's been the most fun part. I've been just so obsessed with like field research. I feel like I want to like get, capture all the Pokemon and get them research level 10 and then go back to the story. I think that's like the, one of the best parts, you know, it's like in the old games, like in the regular games, the mainline ones, you catch one Pokemon and you get the, their, their Pokedex entry entry is, filled. is filled in. And this one's sort of more of a focus on, you know, not just catching them, but catching a whole bunch of them, trying to find, um, you know, different specimens, using different moves on them, watching them use different moves. And it's sort of, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously, it could obviously be a lot more in depth, but the way that how deep it is, it's just sort of amazing. It, it, it's a great feel for the game. It's a great installment to the series. I think, I don't think that this should replace like the regular generations. I think it should be its own like mainline series, like basically along with that, like, Maybe one year we get a Legends game, the next year we get another generation, but I would love to see them do maybe Johto next or Hoenn. I think that'd be 
phenomenal to do. I think both of those would be yeah. great. Um, we were uh, we were kicking around Jodo on on the, on the timeline. Uh, me and a couple other people, a couple other hooligans, uh, were talking about it and thinking maybe they could add a a fourth dog, you know, with uh, Raikou, Entei, and Suicune. But I think my idea is I would love to have them set a game like this in Ultra Space from Generation Seven. Oh, like with the uh, yeah, with Sun and Moon. I know you. Lo- I know you love Gen Seven. Uh, with Sun and Moon and with the uh, the wormholes and things like that. Yeah, but on the other side, like you, you set a game on the other side of the wormhole and, and explore like everything there, not just the. You could make the Ultra Beasts from the from Generation Seven. Cool. The like the 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 Alpha or the um, the uh, boss Pokemon. I think it will be fun for them to just, yeah, them just, I think they can get to each generation eventually because, you know me, I love Gen 5, so with Unova's history, I wouldn't mind seeing that either, but I understand them them wanting to maybe wanting to do like Johto first or like Hoenn next because of how big they are and how much lore is in them. Yeah, and I think they really did a really good job of, of sort of, like we were all, like Generation 4, that those games were like great yeah. and they... They sort of like to me. I thought they were the pinnacle of the seer. I didn't think they were ever going to make another game after Platinum, and I was wrong, obviously, uh, thankfully. But then, like the, uh, the the remake sort of reminded you of how Sinnoh was, and then Legends Arceus sort of like expanded it and just so they just cracked the the door wide open, and it was just beautiful, beautiful area that you know we got the C in its pristine form right. and they expanded it so well. I love all the not the, the subtle nods to like the new, um, you know, obviously the region, like you can clearly tell that the main commander, you could tell that she's Cyrus's ancestor. She looks just like Cyrus. And I think the little touches like that kind of tie you to the regular game and make you feel like even more nostalgic about when you first played gen four, but just it's the little things like that. I didn't even notice yeah, that, I, I, and yeah, it makes a lot of sense now that you say it. It's so cool, um, and you can tell because if you can, if you compare her to Cyrus side by side, they look just like each other, and they have the same mannerism. You know, Cyrus never really smiles; she doesn't smile, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, I just thought she was, you know, just like the uh, just the hard body, yeah. you know, a hard uh, hard ass or hard, you know, whatever. Yeah, they kind of like they kind of like teased at that when it, when the game was coming out, which was really neat because Cyrus is an iconic character in Pokemon, especially in Gen Four. So, I think that yeah. uh, that was that was really really nice. Yeah, the the one character, and it might be a spoiler, so I won't say it. There's one character who reminds me of the champion, and I, you don't find it out until later on when you battle. Oh, someone and it's reminds me of like, Cynthia. Yeah, that's really cool because I'm I love 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 Cynthia. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing that. (laughs) I don't think I got to. She is. I mean, it's hard to sort of because the first the champions in the first four generations all were maybe not maybe not generation two because you know you saw Lance already in generation one, but you know going your generation one is your rival and generation three it's Stephen Stone and then generation four it's Cynthia. Those are all great champions. Yeah, Steven and Cynthia were probably two of my favorite battles. Lance was fun, but I thought I still I still am in the minority. I thought Lance was very one dim- one dimensional. If you have water and ice, you can easily take out Lance. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought he was one dimensional. But Steven and Cynthia, I had so much fun battling. I even loved the end battle in Gen Five. Um, I thought that I thought that was better than fighting Alder because Alder to me was me- mediocre as a champion in Gen Five. Yeah, the champions going forward, you know, it was just sort of. Like I, I guess uh, I forget I forget the guy's name already from Generation Eight. I, I played I sunk over a thousand hours into that oh, game, and I still to, don't. Uh, Leon, who was probably to probably one of the worst champions to date. Actually, he might be the worst one. In the main game, he he gets a lot harder if you play him in the Battle Tower. I know I cursed him a little bit, but it's sort of like like Stephen Stone. I, the mark of a great champion is like you lose him a couple of times before. And like I, I didn't beat Steven or Cynthia the first time through in, in the mainline games. Uh, I learned my lesson and sort of beefed up to face them again in the remakes. But that was just sort of like you, you get up to the champion and they're supposed to beat you the first couple of times. Yeah, they're definitely. I mean, I'll be. I mean, I'll be honest. When I because um, Gen Four came out in two thousand and six, and I remember being in college. Um, but when I first played Cynthia, I was completely unprepared and un- under level. She hand, she like just she destroyed me. Um, so I I literally went through, leveled up, 
and then went back to her. But it was more so me being confused because I didn't know what Spiritomb was. And Cynthia always leads with Spiritomb. And my first thought was, what is that? Because I like that was really the first time I'd seen Spiritomb ever. So I didn't know I didn't know what to throw at it. But luckily now in 2022, you can Spiritomb finally is a weakness, which is fairy. So that's yeah, they, they 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 really um and I think the only thing that really bugs me about fairy type is that it. it I, I always I love dragons. I love the uh, dragons the sort of exclusive. A little bit though, just a little though. They almost had too much power. Their only weakness was dragon and ice. And in Gen One, you really couldn't beat them unless you had ice, because there real there weren't any real dragon moves in Gen One. There was just dragon rage, which really didn't count. Yeah, but you could always just go and get Articuno. You know, true, that was sort of like the, true, the trump true, card, true. Or, you, or you could get like the Blizzard or the ice. You can get the Blizzard HM from the store or whatever it was. But yeah, but Fairy to me, I think was such a great addition in the series. That that that's one reason I'm still like I still kind of give Gen Six a pass because Gen Six was very revolutionary for what it offered with mega evolution and fairy type and things like that, you know, you know, and the 3d, you know, yeah. Yeah. Gen six, not my favorite story or region, but what they gave to us was worth that generation being, you know, getting some respect for me. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit of shop before we go move on. Uh, Pokemon, Uh, your favorite, um, your favorite generation, you said was generation five, which was ambitious as hell. A great Pokedex, uh, Phenomenal story. Yes. Who's your favorite Pokemon? Zorark. Illusion. Illusion Pokemon. Uh, generation 5 or Generation 8? Generation 5 is better to me, but um, there are things about Gen 8 that I do like. Yeah, I, I just love the typing combination. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of brilliance. I mean, for me, Ghost and Dragon, that was fun. Um, I had a good time with that. I also did like, I thought the DLC was phenomenal for Jenny. It's, it's no, I meant like Zoroark. Oh, you meant Zoroark's, uh, uh, oh, you meant Zoroark's new, new uh, form. Oh yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's so brilliant. I, I loved it. I loved the ghost yeah. normal. Ghost normal is, is, is very, 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 very just unfair in battle, especially if you're in competitive. <laughs> <laughs> just makes you have a dark type yep. move. You know, it's sort of, um. It's sort of, and I, I like that a little yeah. bit, you know, you know, you make it make sure like people say, oh, you shouldn't have double team or, well, that just may say, okay. So if you have someone who uses double team, just make sure you have someone with water pulse. I mean, not water pulse. I mean, uh, like our, our sphere or, um, or other moves that, that don't miss ever, you know? Um, and who, who's your favorite, uh, what starter do you go with? Do you go fire, grass, or water? It depends on the gen. Um, I'm very particular. I'm I tend to favor fire in gens one, two, one and two, and gen three, gen three, and gen four. There's no wrong answer. Pick whatever starter you want. All six of those starters in gens three and four, phenomenal. There's no wrong starter. Gen five, I generally pick Oshawa because I'm not the biggest. Despite loving gen five, I'm not the biggest fan of its starters. Gen six. Greninja is my favorite always. I always pick Greninja. Gen 7, uh, I really love Primarina, but Dusty Die is just so amazing. Uh, um, and in Gen 8, I do find Cinderace to be the best one. So I go with Grass the first way through really? each one. And I, so I love Bulbasaur. And so I just figured that's probably the best one. And I found out in, in Generation 2 real quick that it wasn't. But I just sort of went through it, the whole the, the whole thing. The first time through, I always get the grass starter. And then if there's another game in the series, I'll pick whatever one's the best. Like if, if it's like you get Pokemon like Ruby and Sapphire, like I'll pick uh, the Trico. I picked Trico the first time through, but in the remakes or when I when Emerald came out, I picked uh, Mudkay. So that was my favorite one. Um, and it, it's sort of it's rewarding because you just have a you have a gimmick that you go with the whole time but some of these grass pokemon are like really good like um venusaur obviously i don't need to talk about venusaur it's a great pokemon uh but you know generation three you say you can't go wrong no, you can't there's a brilliant group it's a, probably the best group of starters the best overall yeah, yeah. So, gen three easily gen especially now that Bla- that blaziken has um speed oh, boost oh, oh it's, it's incredible and then of course um mud i mean swampert only has one weakness so yeah, and is uh, big and bulky, and you know, just can just like uh, 
horse through a battle. Exactly. <laughs> Mega Swamp uh, was pretty fun too in the remakes. Yeah. Um, and then you have, I, I, I love Superior in Generation 5, you know. Superior's design is so cool. I think it's still one of the best well-designed grass Pokemon ever. With the, It's really nice with the, um, looks like it's wearing a, a robe, mm-hmm. but it's a snake, so it's not really a robe. It's just sort of like a sock. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really neat. I love it. Yeah, you know, the Sidui. I'm a huge fan. I love Venusaur the best, but I think Rollit might be my favorite. That is, like, that is my favorite grass starter, too. Even though I am, I do love Torterra in Gen 4 a lot, but uh, Dusty Die is the best. Like the, the, the Spirit Shackle, the Grass and Ghost combination, the design, it's just a winner all around. And the, the uh, Hisuian form is really good, too. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so you're, you're playing uh, Pokemon... Legends Arceus on your uh, on your stream, so video game streaming is uh, is huge now, and, and you're um, you know you've been doing it for like over a year now, more than it's that. Been almost it's actually been um almost two and a half. We're actually three year anniversary is going to be in June. Actually, yeah, three three anniversary is going to be in June. It's been two and a half years. Time flies, man. Yeah, it does. I remember it was almost like yesterday. You were like that you weren't going to go back to your job, and you were going to like do streaming yeah, I'm going full time that's like that's living the dream right there yep. um so for those who may not know i mean i i get the appeal i i don't watch game streamers but i get the appeal of it because you know i as a kid you know the you you had to go out with your friends all the time right you're right. a little kid and only one person has the nintendo so you go over to his house and you watch people play until it's your turn you know there's an appeal to that explain in your own words what you think the appeal is for me, it's not even more so the game because you can watch a game walkthrough on YouTube. It's more so the interaction. It's more so you playing a game that other people love as much as you do and you're sharing a lot of fun opinions and maybe even some friendly debates about it. Just um, you being able to capture the spirit of that game with someone else and just sharing it. And even if you're not talking about the game, just talking about life, you know, whatnot. But it's all about the interaction. That's the appeal um, easily because for me um, – I know like a lot of my girlfriends, they're not like hardcore gamers. I'm one of the only ones. So I never really had anyone to talk to about video games. Um, except for like, you know, if I was lucky enough to be with a significant other that played video games, you know, I had that. But other than that, not really. So it was like kind of my experience of finally having people to relate to when it came to that. That's all. That's, that's how online was for me, you know, Yeah. whether it was started with the, uh, the like message boards, but you find people to talk about. It's always a great thing. Um. So how much of streaming is you sort of talking about the game and how much of it is like, I know you have like mental health days where you talk about. Yeah. So like how much, how much balance is there and how much like off topic do you get? There's a, there's a good amount of balance. Um, So I try to combine chatting and gaming because I, I feel like interaction again is the most important piece of everything. Um, so Monday is like a mental health day and then we play like Mario, we play like Mario Kart and Mario Party Tuesday. It's more so random. So Tuesday and Wednesday are a lot of randomness. I generally play games on those days. Those are more so video game days. Thursdays where I talk about like Twitch and then Sunday I have a talk show. So three days are streaming and three days are chatting and two days are like almost full on video games. Um, and we uh, honestly, we get off topic a lot, but that's the fun of a fun community. We half of the time we end up talking about food or just really anything that's going on that day or however we're feeling. But again, that's a power of a community and interaction, you know, just, just hang. It's, it's more like a, a big hangout while you're literally doing anything. Cause the cool thing about Twitch now is not just video games. You can do art on Twitch. You can do video games on Twitch. You can cook on Twitch. So it's, it's a bit of everything now. Yeah. I know um, there are people who stream wrestling on, on Twitch and yeah, that's oh, how yeah. I watch my oh, yeah, one Lucha Libre show definitely. every year. So what, what games do you find are best to, to stream? I know, a lot of people they like to do the like the Call of Duty stuff, um, and you're more like me, a Nintendo gamer at heart. Oh yeah. So, like, what I, I know, Nintendo has quite a few games that like are party games. Like, there's Mario Party, there's 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 Mario Kart. Um, do you like the party games, or do you usually like stream like like Mario Odyssey or Breath of the Wild, Pokemon Legends? I like I like all of them. Um, my favorite games ever are definitely games that have a strong story. I'm always a story-based player first and foremost, but, um, be a lo- lately I've kind of been in the wave of just letting my community, um, be involved, which is why I've gone more to more towards Mario Party, Mario Kart, more community games, 
but generally anything that has a good story my primary focus is nintendo and some mostly sony because playstation and nintendo have just been my favorites for as long as i can remember because they always have such good exclusives and always good story and i've never really cared for online as much um so usually usually one of those nintendo i had an xbox one i think a long time ago but i mean <laughs> growing up when i was at my parents house i would have the nintendo console and then my brothers would have the playstation console and i would play that because that's where the final fantasy games were around like uh, the late 90s early yeah. 2000s but yeah i feel you with the story-based games i like i mean i play a few I, I play pokemon online sometimes and i get my butt kicked <laughs> i don't play competitive i don't know i can't do it i uh when uh when sun and sun and by the way sun and moon um has probably one of the best competitive um to me um so when sun and moon came out i actually tried to play competitive and i got my butt handed to me it was not a not a great experience but sun and moon sun and moon laid out their competitive uh field so perfectly it was it was better like than the emerald battle tower for me or battle frontier yeah i, I love that that battle tower was great i would get like 30 wins in a row and yeah, then someone would come out and you know, just have the perfect uh, Pokemon that would like ruin my team, which is usually like I think Tapu Koko. I like I love Tapu Koko and Hitman Top, and then there was someone else. Oh, the Guardians were so fun in Engine yeah. Seven; they were a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I love Tapu Koko and Hitman Top when I'm playing like against the computer. When I'm playing against real people, that's you know where it gets hairy. I, I love everything about you know breeding for for IVs and doing EV training and move sets, but I can't battle for the life of me against other people. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think because there's so much that goes into a Pokemon, like you have to think about like the stab moves versus, uh, you know, there's so many like different like parameters that go into it. So I just more so prefer to enjoy the story aspect of Pokemon and just keep it going yeah. that way. Um, And some of the stories are better than others. You know, I think uh, Generation 7, uh, the mainline game, not Ultra Sun and Moon, that they sort of ruined the story to put more crap at the end when the crap was fine you know you play so i think a lot of people play pokemon not just for the story but to catch them all you know i i just play for the story and to see in your region if i catch them i do but i do agree about sun and moon versus ultra sun and moon ultra sun and moon added more content that's what made it very special the wormholes it added more content there was more to do but i'm very partial to the story of losamine and the original sun and moon that that's i think i think that's my favorite story out of all of them. And five was it's five great was great, story. but I think they, towards the end, they didn't know what to do with the whole um, Pokemon. Maybe shouldn't be in balls or whatever. Um, I, it was more so about in embracing his future as well, embracing his destiny to be the king of Pokemon. And um, just basically gets us getting upset because and didn't carry out his plans fully. It's a lot, but lose a mean, lose a mean story. And then you find out about her kid. It was just a lot. It was really good. And really the, well the the Legends Arceus story is really good too. Um, uh, yeah, and once great. you get it's past cool. like the sort of the the false endpoint, which is Dialga and Palkia, I won't say anything else about it. It gets really good. <laughs> you know, there's another real good twist. So keep playing; it's really good. Um, like I said, I, I got I, I've caught every uh, I've caught all the legendaries except for Arceus so far, and I think Legends Arceus is great because every Gen Four legendary is in the game. Plus, they got the the uh, incarnate forces from Generation Five, plus a new one. That's amazing. And it's just that's I, I think that's what Pokemon does great. I mean, even if like the graphics are you know not the best, right, or the story falters, they're always adding cool new Pokemon to the to the story. It's like twenty twenty plus years of this, and it's never it's never <laughs> no, not at all. You know, even if I even if I have gripes with one generation, it's never oh, never at all. And I know you're a, a famous sort of maybe not a Gen One hater, but you sort of call it out for being overrated. Yeah, everyone thinks I hate Gen One. Okay, so it, it's funny. Like I don't, I don't hate Gen One. It's more so I don't like when people only play one game in a series and they think they can diss the rest <laughs> of the games because. As much like Gen One started Pokemon, Gen One's phenomenal. But Gen One, if you play, if you don't play Fire Red and Leaf Green, it's aged badly. The moves, the move sets are broken. There's really not much of a story in Gen One. But there are people that played Gen One as a childhood, had their nostalgia, then they stopped playing Pokemon, and they're like, "Well, if it's not the first 151, it's terrible." And people give opinions about games they didn't play. That's more so my issue. 
and people automatically saying one goes to the top just purely off nostalgia and it's like you're thinking like a child you're not thinking rationally <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean and then you so. play gen one right you know if if you have alakazam yeah. you could beat the game pretty much easily not even you too it's just alakazam yeah. yeah you can if you can find someone to trade with of course <laughs> or you can just sort of um hack the game and get and get a catching out yeah that too so that, that was the the best thing about um Gen one for me was sort of finding out a way to get all the the, the TMs before they sort of made them, uh, before they made them, uh, you know, unbreakable. Yeah, understandable. I do want to talk about one more thing before uh, get get into the home stretch. This um, I know tonight you were uh, trying to get tickets to a basketball game. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah, because he's he's not playing. Uh, James Harden is a 76er. Are you happier that he's a 76er? Are you happier that Ben Simmons is not? It's, it's both honestly, because it's, it's weird. Like, like I, I was one of the people that would have traded for James Harden last year, but I was worried about what trading Ben Simmons would do. And then I was like, okay, this was last year. I was like, I don't want to give up Maxi, Thibault and Ben. And cause that's what I thought it would take. I thought it would take all three to get him, And it probably would have, cause that's what the Rockets were asking for before Brooklyn traded for him. Um, but then of course, you know, Ben doesn't play and, and it's fun. It's funny because I was probably one of the biggest Ben fans on Twitter or in Philly sports Twitter that everyone knows about. And I defended him. Um, and I still think Ben's a great player, still a great defender, great facilitator, but I just, I'm really frustrated with how, you know, I, I just wish he would have taken accountability for game seven. And I, I get that if he was, I get if he was upset that doc rivers or Embiid may have, may have said something he's entitled to feel yeah. how he wants to feel. But all he had to do was say, you know, I, I should have taken that dunk or layup or I could have been more aggressive, you know, because I, I just wish there had been some accountability. And and the, the fact that he doesn't really put it on himself to improve is what's really been frustrating this whole time. And, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, as much as I love Ben, you know, great defense, but he averaged 15 points per game. We're going to need more than that with Embiid. James Harden comes in, whether you want to call him washed or not, he averages 30, 34 points per game. So offensively it's an upgrade we'll lose some defense but we still have ball for defense you know but I am happy to have someone like that with Embiid I mean I think Harden and Embiid together pick and roll are going to be great they're going to go to the foul line a lot it's going to be a lot of fun yeah and I think with the talk about accountability right I think a lot of people sort of took those two comments and, and extrapolated them to say oh well he was never supported in Philadelphia and I think that's that's 100% yes. wrong because you know, how many times did, you know, I'm not even talking about Doc because, you know, I, I'd be happy if they fired Doc tomorrow and replaced with Sam Castle, right? <laughs> or got someone else to to to, uh, to, to, to replace him because, you know, he just blows a lot of these big games. And But, right. like, how many times did, you know, Joel come out and sort of post pictures of him and Ben when, when there was a, a report saying that they weren't getting along, right? He, he you know, I... I I, I think deep down, no matter what, you know, he reacted after the everything happened. Like Joel really wanted to make it work. I do think that they were friends, and then I think after the Sixers Hawk series, that is when things changed. I think after that, because I think that Embiid said something in post game, and Ben wasn't happy with it. And then I think from that point it went downhill, and there was that that you know they weren't talking to each other. There was a moment where they they just wouldn't see each other you know, things like that. But it's just, it was just really frustrating. I ultimately think that Ben, you know, I think that Embiid did care about Ben and vice versa, but I just think that Ben, once that situation happened, wanted to separate himself from everything. So that included cutting ties with Joe. And that's what, that's what, that's how the story reads. Like I'm pro player most of the time. And I, I, I don't, if it's, if it's Ben versus Maury or Ben versus Josh Harris, I don't give a shit, you know, Trash, trash Maury and his NFT monkeys, trash Josh Harris and his maggot built bullshit. I don't care. But oh, yeah. you get Ben versus Joel and it's like, you know, how much do you want me to leave me, you want me to give a guy who, you know, shot threes in an empty gym, but never did it in the game, you know? Yeah. And they're, they're getting, um they're up there in Brooklyn getting excited about that. And they're actually posting summer league highlights. And I'm looking at Brooklyn like, you know, um, big. <laughs> You know, uh, like I said, I love Ben. I, I know what he can do on offense and defense. But if you're if you're getting excited over summer league offense, then then that's not. And, and a good it sign. would and it would be nice for them if you know 
their point guard or whatever position Kyrie Irving plays, you know, if he could play home games. Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, um, the reality is if you if you don't have Kyrie and then you take away James Harden, you bring in Ben Simmons, your offense does get worse. Now, you do have Seth Curry, who when Seth Curry is on, he's phenomenal. But at the end of the day, you are still losing the James Harden. We know when Harden is playing the 34 points per game, everyone's like, oh, Harden is averaging 22 this year. Sure he is. But career, 34 points per game. We know he can drop 30 on most nights. 20, 22 points a game on a bum hamstring, you know. Exactly. That yeah, that and that's still yeah. more than what Ben averages. Ben averages career wise fifteen yeah. a game. Twenty two eight and eight on a bum and hamstring. Heck, Tyrese Maxi. Tyrese Maxi is, is has been 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 on a lot of nights giving you more. Yeah, than and, ben and Tyrese Maxi, I, I was I was more worried about giving him up to Houston. And luckily for us, I think it broke that Houston was ever going to trade with us because their owner hates Daryl Morey. Um yeah. and I think giving up Thibel and Simmons, you're giving up all your defense. But I think at this point in the NBA, you know, I think in most sports, um, modern, you know, it's offense, not defense anymore, because people figure out how to play sophisticated offenses in the NBA and the NFL. In Major League Baseball, it's just it's home runs or walks, you know, and um, right, excuse exactly. me. And, uh, you know, I think defense is fine. You know, we grew up in Philadelphia, right? We grew up with Reggie White right. and Clyde Simmons, Seth Joyner. Jerome Brown, Eric Allen, and Buddy Ryan, you know, we appreciate defense in this town. But end of the day, 2022, you got to score to win. And I think, you know, James Harden does that. Um, do, do you think that uh, James Harden's – what about J- James Harden's, like, offensive game? I know people talk about him, him if, if you're not a fan of his, you hate his offensive game. What, what, do you, what do you have to think about it? You watch a lot more basketball than I do. It is all. I mean, I, I think people are more so referring to the fact that James Harden does go to the line a lot. Um, people will call him a flopper, and and I know me personally, I hate flopping in the NBA, regardless of who it is. My energy is always the same when it comes to that. But I know, um, you know, obviously when someone's on your team like that, you're very happy. You know, you, you know, you're happy that you're gonna get that extra offense, especially with someone like Embiid. I I never like flopping, regardless of who it is. But at the end of the day, I mean. Anyone who is going to act like he's not a playmaker or a great scorer, they're they're kidding themselves, or they just don't like him for personal reasons. And if they you know if they don't, they're entitled to that. But to deny the impact he has on the game is foolish. And then I hear a lot of people say things like they'll they'll talk about how he um how they'll single handedly blame him for playoff losses. But no matter what the situation is, it's a team sport. I mean, we saw Embiid go off against Atlanta and the Wizards on a bum meniscus. And, you know, it was, you know, for against Atlanta, it wasn't enough. So team sport, regardless, you know, and has got to show up too. Harden's got to show up. We got to get things from our other guys. And just got to hope that doc doesn't go with an all bench lineup. Oh yeah. Cause that's the, I mean, that's, that's the reason we lost to Atlanta. You know, that's the single handed reason. I, I still think it was, they let triple H ring the bell. Uh, not triple. Oh, triple H. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. If you're not a wrestling fan, you don't, you don't get how much uh, most wrestling fans despise him, but Joel doesn't, so you got to keep Joel happy. Um, so we're getting to the the sort of the uh, stretch run of the NBA season. Um, what do you think? Give me a, give me a prediction. Give me some prognostication. I would say if you had, if you had to objectively look at the East, um, I would say the four best teams. If I had to call it how I saw it, the four best teams are Miami, uh, Philly, Milwaukee, and yes, will be even though the Nets are the eight seed right now, you would you would you would expect them to move up. I know they're one and nine in their last ten, but they will move up. But I think those are the four best teams in the East. No disrespect to the Raptors, the Celtics, the Bulls, or the Cavs. The Bulls and the Cavs have a lot of potential and talent. It just feels like they're not ready for that. I'm ready to disrespect the Celtics. Is what I'm getting from them. Yeah. Um well yeah, of course, because it's Boston. Uh but I think those are gonna be I think those are the best four teams. I don't I mean you would you would like to think Milwaukee is the favorite because they just won, but Miami is playing very, very well, very good basketball this season. They're one of the best teams at home in the NBA. Um but I really think out of those four teams I named, it's anyone's conference. I think I could see it going either way. I don't think there's a clear cut, like head and shoulders favorite at the moment. What about the West? Do you think we ought to be afraid of the Lakers putting it all together or I think we might be okay with that. I mean they're they're I mean they're below five hundred. They're three and seven in their last ten. It's been tough. I know um the Suns and the Warriors are no joke. If you want to worry, you want to worry about the Suns and the Warriors. 
those teams are the real deal. They could definitely they're de- they definitely match up well against these Eastern Conference teams. So that's who you should be afraid of. You hope that one of those teams, or maybe both, maybe one of them, you know, loses earlier than they should. But they're 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 the real deal. They're the two best. Yeah, teams I, in the I think NBA. I don't think you can um, count on, on that happening unless you know it sort of happens that they line up as the two or three, the two and three seed, and say like the Nuggets go on a run to the one seed, you know, and and one of those teams is out for the the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I mean, the only thing that will really shake things up is injury, but obviously that's not something you want to see happen ever. But that other than that, I I don't see it going past that um, Memphis is a very good young team. I think people should keep their own eye on them. I don't know if they're ready to be like in the conference final or the con, you know, I don't the NBA finals, but they're definitely a team to keep an eye on. The Suns and Warriors though, I mean, I don't see how we don't have that as a conference final. Yeah, I mean, on paper. I think on paper though, like yeah. it, it, we're in we're in a post-covid landscape and, and and yeah, football and and basketball are not the same. We we know that, but but the Suns sort of came out of nowhere last year. And then, you know, the Bengals sort of came out of uh, nowhere this year in the NFL. So maybe you should put a sort of a, a bookmark on the on the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, Jay Morant. Absolutely. I, they have a lot. They have a lot of good young talent. I They're one of the teams where I wouldn't really mind seeing them do well. I love seeing them as a third seed. I think Memphis deserves it. They've been, you know, they've been rallying around that team for a long time. So here's hoping. Yeah. And Jay Morant's like one of the the, uh, the most exciting scorers in the league, you know, a slasher Absolutely. and then good shot Absolutely. guy who like puts uh, put a lot of energy into the game when he gets going. It's, it's fun to watch. Um, now, before we get out of here, why don't you let us know? Uh, I mean, you already talked about your stream, but let, let us know where you, where you can find you, you know, and your schedule. So I'm actually very easy to find. I'm Real Mommy Eagle on every platform, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. Um, but I stream Sunday through Thursday on Twitch at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Um, so that's the schedule. I am going to be mixing things up in the next couple of weeks, maybe switching Wednesday to Friday. But that's currently what the schedule is. But again, Real Mommy Eagle on everything. Great. And um, you can find me uh, on this podcast, obviously. But also uh, go to tholzerman.substack.com to the newsletter. If you haven't found me from there, um, once again, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you get something in your inbox every morning, um, unless I'm on vacation and I will, uh, give your eyes something to look at while you're drinking your coffee in the morning, uh, or your ear, something to listen to, you know, uh, episode one and two are, are readily available, including episode three, you know, listen to all three, if you haven't yet. Um, you can find me on Twitter at T Holzerman. Um, I tweet way too much. Um, you can find me on Facebook by rather you didn't. And uh, if you like this episode or you liked anything that I do, uh, click on the Ko-Fi link and buy me a coffee. You know, you don't have to. Um, I don't charge for content, but if you want to give me some caffeination, you know, could say job well done here. Here, TH, have a coffee. Uh, throw a few through a bucks in there and uh, I'll appreciate that. Uh, Key, thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, No problem. Uh, And once again, thank you for listening. Once again, keep it a buck.